Hey, everyone. Welcome and thanks for joining us on The Tightrope, where we engage in rich dialogue and try our very best to keep our balance on tough issues and during tough times. I'm Trisha Rose. I'm here with my co-host and dear friend, Dr. Cornell West. Cornell, how are you doing? Here to check in on you. Well, you know, with mom gone, the funeral just a few days ago, I'm trying to get fortified. Mm. And uh, whatever armor I had has been pierced with the death of your mother, but you still got bounced back. I'm a gut bucket kind of black man, so I got to have something gas in my tank, even though I can't discern whether that gas is actually there or not. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate all the love and the support of everybody. Everybody got loved ones going through crisis and things, so we all in it together in that sense. That's what suffering humanity is all about. But right. we still got resilience. But it was a blessing to have you and Brother Andre at the crib right mm. after the funeral. Oh, that was rich. All those folk from Louisiana and Texas. Yeah. Chocolate sides of Sacramento and things. We had a time. You had a national chocolate city map up in there. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was such a, a blessing to see your family and to, you know, to hear so many people speak about Ms. Irene B. West, who was just such a, a force for good, um, but just one of the most elegant and generous and graceful women I've ever met in my life. And I, she has always stood out in that way for me. And, uh, you know, it's it's you know, it's sad that she's not with us, but she's left a heck of a legacy, not the least of which is you. But uh, but so much else and so much more. If we could any of us could give as much as she did, we'd all, I think, be able to rest easy um, for no, sure. I appreciate those words. Appreciate those words. But we are blessed to have a major force for good in the house. I'm yes. telling you, she got to be one of the grandest to come out of Omaha, Nebraska. Since <laughs> Malcolm X. Yes, that's about true. Sister Roxanne herself. Yes, indeed. Everyone, we are thrilled. We have Roxanne Gay with us today, and that makes it a very special uh, writerly uh, session. We are just just honored and thrilled to be in conversation. Let me give a very brief bio for those of you who have not been paying proper attention in the world, you know, on this uh, amazing person. Uh, she's the author of a number of books, a number of them also best-selling, including New York Times best-selling Bad Feminist and Hunger. Uh, Aidi, an untamed state. Uh, she has a, a newsletter, Audacity, has two, I think maybe three, but definitely two graphic novels that are uh, really terrific. Uh, and is, you know, just has a fantastic podcast here, you know, which we're also going to talk about. So we are just thrilled to have Roxanne Gay with us talking about all kinds of things, what's ever on her mind. Roxanne, thank you for joining us on the tightrope. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your mother, Dr. West. That I know is a, I can imagine a really difficult thing to deal with, especially given everything going on in the world. No, but thank you, my dear sister. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you, your work is in many ways. I mean, I, I was, uh, I've read an, a number of pieces by you and I, I they're just, they really, they really move me and they touch me. But the the one that I just started looking at, the sacrifice of darkness, <laughs> does tap into what we were just saying and what Cornell was saying about the sort of suffering that binds us all together in many ways and the sense of loss that can connect us. Um, is that a theme 
that you are very focused on or am I pulling that theme out because it's my own Rorschach test as it were, you know? <laughs> um, you know, I think it's one of the concerns in my work, certainly. Um, you know, when I wrote that book, I was going to graduate school in Michigan's Upper Peninsula and I had an opportunity Ooh. to experience a really beautiful part of the country, but in many ways a forgotten part of the country and a place where you can see um, American rural poverty up close. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a kind of poverty that we tend to forget about because so much attention is necessarily paid to urban poverty. And a lot of the poverty was because there used to be this significant mining industry. And when the mine ran dry for copper, the owners just went up and left and took their wealth with them, you know, and that leaves a lot of people behind. And so I was really interested in thinking about that, but also thinking about race and the kinds of people who tend to be left behind when capitalism fails. And, you know, then I just took it from there. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There were so many people in that, in, uh, in Sacrifice of Darkness, really, you got a sense of how we are all connected mm-hmm. in this, in this suffering and in this loss of light, right? Um, For sure. In one form or another. Um, you know, I think that's something we think we forget about. I think that sometimes when there are problems that happen on a global scale, we think that's a problem for that country over there. But yeah. The reality is, especially when we look at things like global warming, we can't buy our way out of global warming. Eventually, we're going to all run out of water or we're going to run out of air. And so how do we think about the ways that we're connected? And yeah, 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 white flight, white flight is not going to be the answer to global warming. No, it is not. (laughs) You know, they think it's the answer, but I'm like, you can only run but so far. Go ahead. Pack your bags. Go on. (laughs) We'll see you later. Some folk in the ruling class trying to get off in New Zealand thinking they're going to be safe, but uh, it's going to hunt them down. But Sister Roxanne, I mean, one of the things that uh, comes across in your corpus already is the tremendous scope and the breadth and the depth and the quality that there's a truth telling there, there's a courage and a vision. But I would like to hear you reflect just a little bit on your calling Mm -hmm. as a writer, as a woman of letters. Mm-hmm. Because you do so many different things. And as Sister Tricia was saying, you know, there's a certain common motifs and themes. But how do you understand your vocation, given the, uh, the decadent times in which we live? <laughs> That's a great question. I, you know, started writing and loving the written word at a very early age. And uh, early, early, early in my career, when I was submitting to literary magazines and not finding much luck, I was writing stories about being from Nebraska. And, you know, people, I grew up in Omaha. And um, a lot of times people would tell me, wait, this is a great story, but please set it in the ghetto. And I always thought, wait, first of all, who uses that language? It's, you know, like, what are we doing here? And <laughs> it just frustrated me that there was this expectation of what I would write as a Black woman. Mm-hmm. And so I decided early on that I was, you're never going to figure out what I'm going to do from one project to the next. Uh, you can always tell that it's my project, but you don't know what genre I'm going to appear in. And I, I'm a fast learner, so... I love trying different genres uh, and different ways of thinking and 
expressing that thinking. And so far it has been incredibly satisfying for me intellectually to do so. And of course I return to certain themes over and over again. And, you know, I've written a novel, I'm certainly writing another novel. You know, it's not that I am one and done, but instead I tend to just think, what else can I do? Where else can I use my voice in a way that will hopefully be effective? Mm-hmm. Are there certain figures that we got? Think, think from Wonderland Brooks to Virginia Woolf to mm. Audrey Lord. Audrey Lord. Are there certain figures who inform how you go about sustaining, navigating, and negotiating all of this grimness mm-hmm. with <laughs> such resilience and such tremendous wisdom? Definitely Audrey Lord, who mm-hmm. It's such a role model in so many ways and not in the cheesy sort of diminutive way, right. but rather in this like really substantive ab, um, aspirational way. I think that she's such a scholar and does not get nearly enough credit as a scholar. When people read things from Black women in particular, they tend to think that what we're doing is inspirational and that we're here to motivate people. And actually, that's not my ministry. Um, I'm here to bring attention to issues that I think need to have attention. And I tend to do some from a black feminist perspective. And Audre Lorde was really unapologetic in doing that throughout her career. And she still did it elegantly. And that is an incredible model for me. I also love the work of Zora Neale Hurston, who was similarly prolific and unapologetic in her narration of the world. And so, and also, of course, last but certainly not least, Toni Morrison, simply because she was just so audacious, especially when I think of a novel like Beloved, where she just went for it. And the first time I read it, I was like, I don't know what the hell this is. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's true for most of them. (laughs) Yeah. I had to go back and start over myself. Same. I was like, when I got to the end, I was like, um... I feel like perhaps I missed 200 pages. Let me yeah. <laughs> let me do this one more time. Yeah. And then playing in the dark, you know, everything she does is so interesting and provocative and yeah. just uh, just also the way she carried herself through the world and and she the way she held whiteness to account, which is a rarity. Uh, all of that I find incredibly mm. just they're incredible guides and I think that we are incredibly lucky to have them, especially because there aren't as many Black intellectuals that are held up as exemplars, and yet the work is out there. They just don't Mm -hmm. necessarily have the attention that they deserve. Mm -hmm. Well, that's certainly true. That is certainly true. So you have, you know, as you pointed out, been uh, uh, quite a boundary crosser in terms of genres of writing and and Mm -hmm been you know uh it's 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 actually quite a lot of mastery because you know to get one form together feels like you know uh, feels like some work but the essay form seems to be at least one of your favorites right i mean it's it's it, oh for sure okay so talk if you will about why the essay uh allows you to do what you want to do or what's the value of the essay form mm-hmm. for you and maybe what are the free limitations or the constraints that you like about it or, you know, along yeah. those lines. What I love about the essay is that 
a lot of people think that when you write an essay, you have to know where it's going to end and you have to know what your conclusion is going to be for whatever argument it is that you're trying to make or whatever, you know, your overall purpose is. But what I love about the essay is that sometimes I'm thinking through what I want to say in the essay. I am trying on different points of view in the essay. And maybe I get to a conclusion by the end of the essay, but certainly I'm showing my math in terms of how I came to that conclusion or how I didn't come to an, a conclusion. Mm-hmm. And I love the flexibility of the essay form for giving writers and readers that space to not necessarily have all the answers, but be curious. Mm-hmm. I think curiosity is so incredibly important. And I think all of the best writing, however flawed it might be, has curiosity in it. You know, that there's someone there who doesn't claim to have all of the answers. And I don't ever claim to have all of the answers, though I certainly will always claim that I have the authority to to guide the reader to a place that I think is productive. Mm -hmm. And essays really do that. The constraint of the essay form, of course, is you can't do everything in an essay, and nor should you. Uh, A lot of times people (laughs) will read my work and say, this is good, but I really wish you had done, you know, four other things. And I always say to them, well, then go write that essay because that's not my project here. And so I think for good and bad, you know, there is that limitation that you can't do everything or be everything to everyone. But the best essays in my mind don't ever try to please everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that's always struck me about your writing, it reminds me a lot of uh, James Baldwin, is that a, um, your curiosity blurs into perplexity. <laughs> and, and, and I make a very important distinction, see, because scientists mm-hmm. can be curious, but perplexity has to do with existential dilemmas. Mm-hmm. in which there really are no answers for the mm-hmm. most part. Why is there something rather than nothing? See, that's not a scientific question. Correct. That's, a, that's an existential question. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I do. So and that that's... It has, it's, it's, it's the howls at the end of King Lear. See, that's perplexity, whereas Descartes is curious as a philosopher shaped by the new physics of science. You've got both. Baldwin's got both. And so you, you're able to carry folk into zones of curiosity and they end up with perplexity. They don't know how they got there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Tony Morton does the same thing. Could you say a few words about that? Yeah, that's a great distinction. You know, I find that, especially these days, humanity confounds the shit out of me. I and hear I hear you. There are things like there are times when I look at discourse and think, are we really having this conversation? You know, as we speak, Palestine is under assault. And so many public intellectuals are afraid to say anything. And I understand why. I don't, I think the fear is legitimate. That is perplexing to me. That is perplexing. When you see a situation where yes, there is a loss of life on both sides and where it's where it's so fragile that in some instances, people demonstrating solidarity with Palestine allows them the forum to air their anti-Semitism. And so you have to be very cautious about that because no, this is not a free for all. This is instead saying that you cannot have state sanctioned apartheid 
and and consider it to be okay. Like we have to be able, and I, I, this is not my area of expertise. And so I always defer to the experts, but at the same time, surely we can say that this loss of life that is happening right now is staggering. Hey there, my tightrope community. Have you heard the news? We are moving all of our tightrope content to our Patreon. In order to keep our show independent and ad-free, keeping ourselves able to say what we want, when we want, to whom we want. We are asking our incredible audience, that's you, to please extend your support to us by going to www.patreon.com backslash the tightrope pod and please become a member of our Patreon community. Here in this new location, we will continue to bring you our full-length episodes, exclusive opportunities to interact with us on a regular basis, and also some behind-the-scenes content. So we really, really hope you'll join us on Patreon, and we appreciate all your support. We'll see you there soon. Bye-bye.